Well, good morning, church. Oh, that's loud. Are you awake yet? Now you are, right? Well, praise God. If you can, please turn to your Bibles in Luke chapter 5. We're going to be examining verses 12 to 26 this morning. Again, we'll be preaching the word from Luke chapter 5. Starting in verse 12, when you have that, please do stand for the reading of God's word. Luke 5, 12, hear ye this morning the word of the Lord. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And in one of those days, he was teaching. Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed, uh, on a, bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when they saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who is paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been laying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they all glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, as we come before you this morning, we ask, Father, that you would help us to remove every idle thought, every sin that may so easily entangle us away from thy good measure of grace. We ask, Lord, that you would give us now, even your spirit, to be able to discern the words that are spoken, the words that you've laid before us this morning. And we pray, Father, that your spirit would be strong in this place, that we would be reminded of the forgiveness of sins that we have in Jesus, who alone can make us clean. And it is in his name that we do pray. Amen. Beloved, do you know that you and I, because of our sin, because of the sin nature inherited by our father, Adam, we are all filled with not only sin, but the mire, the dirt, the filthiness that comes along with it. We're all in need of a good cleansing. We're all in need to be touched and healed 
from our infirmities, from our sicknesses, from that which has affected us in our sin nature. And I want to tell you today that there's good news for us. There is good news because Jesus is the Savior who saves us from sin. Jesus is the one who makes us clean from the effects of our sins. And Jesus alone is the one who can touch us and heal us from all of our infirmities. Here in this junction of Luke chapter 5, by God's providence, lines up perfectly with what the uh, reading passage was in Mark's gospel, as Mark and Luke and Matthew are part of what's called the synoptic gospels, meaning that they are all saying or are telling and sharing of the same major accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. Mark being the more abridged version, Luke and, Mark and Matthew being the more detailed versions, but both geared towards different audiences. Matthew towards a more Hebrew audience and Luke's gospel towards a more Gentile audience. And yet here we come to this junction of the gospel narrative where Jesus, let's recap where we've been so far, having been uh, uh, delivered through the wilderness, 40 days of temptation, coming out of those temptations after his baptism, going now into the towns of Jerusalem, Judea, Galilee, and sharing the good news of the kingdom of God. He is now calling, he had just called now his first disciples, going into the waters uh, of the lake of, of Lake Genesaret and calling his disciples to be fishers of men. He now goes into many cities. In verse 12 it says, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. Understand this, Jesus was attracting a certain type of person. Jesus was attracting crowds of people of all sorts. People who were rich, people who were poor, people who were clean, people who were dirty, people who were of great means, people who were of no means. He was attracting people of all sorts, of all kinds. And Jesus, as he's preaching in the cities, there comes a man full of leprosy. I want you to understand this about leprosy. Leprosy is not a disease that we often encounter here in the West anymore. It is, it is still something that is prevalent in, in, in more underdeveloped countries. It's a skin condition. Uh, maybe you've had a skin condition before. I've had several where uh, your skin starts to get crackly and you, you, you begin to see warts or boils start to develop on your skin. But can I tell you, leprosy is far worse than any of those things. Leprosy is where your flesh literally begins to rot. And in ancient times, such as even now in places around the world, people who are afflicted of leprosy, or they, they're, they're, the, the leprosy is so severe that they often bandage, wrap their bodies just to uh, avoid getting more infections in their skin because the skin begins to open and crack. Infections start to pour into the skin. And they begin to smell even of rot, the rot of their own flesh. And so in order to, 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 to uh, mitigate that disgusting smell, they will bandage themselves, put ointments and oils just to avoid that stench of death. And here's a man coming to Jesus, full of leprosy. Full of leprosy. Not just infected in one area, but completely in every area of his body. He is full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus... He fell on his face and begged him. And he said these words, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. We don't know anything about this leper. We don't know about his past life. 
We don't know about his upbringing. We don't know about what he believed. But what we do know about this leper is that one, he had leprosy, and two, he saw Jesus and knew that Jesus was the only answer to his leprosy. He didn't know probably anything else about Jesus other than this, that he was preaching the kingdom of God and that he was healing the sick. And that was enough for this man full of leprosy to leap to him, to run to this Jesus, fall on his face and beg the man he did not know, Lord, and call him by his proper title, Lord. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. The faith of this man with leprosy was of such grand example to us today. It's such an example for us today to learn from. A man who probably knew not much about Jesus, but knew enough to run to him because he was the answer to his problems. If you're following in the notes, I want you to write this in. A man with leprosy begged Jesus to make him clean. To make him clean. Now, according to the Old Testament law, this man with leprosy was unclean, unfit. Therefore, unfit to be the presence of God's holy temple. Won't you write those three things in the first line? Jesus to, he came to Jesus to make him clean because he was unclean, therefore unfit to be in the presence of God's holy temple. When you look at the Levitical laws concerning those who have infirmities such as uh, leprosy, these were laws that, help, that uh, dealt with cleanliness, dealt with preserving the cleanliness and integrity of temple worship. So, for instance, in the Old Testament, if a man had leprosy, he could not come into the city. He could not come into the tabernacle. He could not come to the temple. Why? Because the temple represented life. And leprosy is a disease of death. It will ultimately destroy you. It will ultimately kill you. And so leprosy was a disease in which uh, there, there, was, there, was, there was nothing that you can do uh, other than wait and die. And so you could not go to the temple. You could not be in the presence of holiness. Similarly, other Old Testament laws uh, having to deal with death, such, for instance, if you had touched a dead person, you could not immediately go into the temple presence. Instead, you had to go through a ceremonial process of cleansing, cleaning yourself outside of the temple walls for up to seven days. Same thing for women in their menstrual cycle. They could not enter into the city gates and go into the temple because of their uncleanliness. All these laws had to deal with cleanliness and promoting life. And if you weren't in the temple uh, and you were unclean, you would surely die. And you would contaminate holy, clean space. Similarly to how in hospitals today, if a person comes and they're sick and with a, with a mysterious illness, they'll often quarantine that person and the individuals dealing with that sick individual would have to also uh, wear certain garbs in order to protect the integrity of that space. And so too was God's holy space, the temple, had to be protective of its integrity. Therefore, those who had certain infirmities, such as leprosy, could not enter into God's temple. But here we have something incredible happening. Though this man is unclean, though this man is struck with leprosy, he is approaching God's new temple in Jesus. And Jesus, being the new and better temple, is able to make him clean. You see, for all of its rites, for all of his rituals, 
The temple in Jerusalem could make no man clean. If you had leprosy, you would continue to have leprosy. If you were unclean, unless apart from the ceremonial cleansing laws, you'd continue to be unclean. The temple in itself could not cleanse anyone. And yet, here comes on the scene the new and living temple in Jesus Christ. And he could make people clean. Jesus, full of compassion, in Luke chapter 5, verse 13, it says, And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus was not afraid of being made unclean. You see, in the Old Testament laws, part of the cleanliness laws concerning, uh, relating to leprosy, was that that person had to be an outcast. They had to live outside the tent, outside the community. Because if not, they could contaminate the whole congregation. They can contaminate the whole town. They can contaminate the whole community with their sickness. Therefore, they had to be cut off and quarantined away from civilization. And Jesus, knowing full well this man has leprosy, isn't shrinking back, isn't running away, but instead is moving towards the man. And he says to the man, I will be clean. And he touches the man. And the leprosy of the man does not infect Jesus, but rather Jesus' cleanliness, Jesus' righteousness infects the man. And the man is made clean. You see, sometimes in life, we think of ourselves as too unclean to come to Jesus. Sometimes in life, we think that our sins are too big for Jesus to touch and heal. And what we'll do is that we'll isolate We'll move away from God's people. We'll move away from the congregation of God's people. We'll say we're not worthy to be in this space. We're not worthy to be in this midst. But I tell you this, beloved. Jesus is able to make you clean. There is no sin that Jesus can't touch. There is no, there's no thing that you have dealt with, that you have struggled with in your life, that Jesus cannot handle every single thing that you've encountered in your life every single uncleanliness every single sin every single wickedness every single depravity jesus is able to overcome that's our jesus this jesus that we know this jesus who we encounter in scripture is able to make even the most vilest wicked disgusting sinners clean that's our Jesus. And he touches the man and saying these words, I will, in response to the man's begging, in response to the man's uh, words and declaration, that Lord, if you will, this man full of leprosy acknowledges Christ as Lord, acknowledges that he is sovereign, that he has a decree and will. And he says, you can make me clean. Not that you might make me clean. Not that, you, that you, you might be able to do so in the future after I do certain things. But know that, Lord, at your will, at your word, at your decree, you will make me clean. Do you believe that when it comes to your life? Do you believe that Jesus has the authority, the power, and the willingness to make you clean? I don't know what all of your sins are. I don't know what it is that you have encountered in your life, but I do know this. Jesus is able to overcome all of it. All of it. 
He's able to touch you and make you clean. He transfers His holiness, His righteousness, His goodness, His cleanliness over to you. So that what happens even in this story is a picture of the imputed righteousness that Christ grants to all believers. That though we are all full of spiritual leprosy, though we are all full of the sin of Adam and the sin of our own doing, Jesus is able to touch us and transfer His cleanliness, His righteousness to us. He imputes it to us. You see, the uncleanliness and the leprosy of the man did not infect Jesus. It didn't, touch, it didn't, it didn't make Jesus unclean. But rather, Jesus being so clean, Jesus being so righteous, Jesus being so holy, at His touch, He's able to transform the man full of leprosy to be healed completely without a trace of the fall, without a trace of leprosy. That's the power of Christ. And I love how even nature must obey this Christ because immediately after that touch, it says, the leprosy left him. I want you to write this. Jesus, being full of compassion, reaches out to touch the man and healed him. And his leprosy left. You see, we're not very different, beloved, from the leper. We have become unclean due to our sin. And we are unable to achieve cleanliness on our own ability. Only by being touched by true holiness and compassion can we experience healing from the brokenness of our hearts and of our experiences. Jesus, again, is the only one who can make us clean. Can you imagine all the things that this man had tried to do before in the past and failed? Imagine what you would do in similar circumstances. You would look for all the best treatments, all the best ointments, all the best uh, things that you can do. You would even turn probably to, to superstition to try to heal yourself from these infirmities. But once he heard Jesus was coming... He knew that Jesus would be the answer. You might try a lot of different things in life to get yourself right with God, but I tell you, promise you this, nothing will be able to remove the stain of sin except the blood of Jesus. You might think that if I do enough, if I feed the poor, if I go to church, if I do X, Y, and Z, these things will earn me God's favor. These things will earn me God's cleanliness. But I tell you this, you cannot be made clean on your own efforts. It is not by works or by works of righteousness or by obedience to the law that you be made right before God, but it is only by faith in Jesus Christ. This man had nothing of his own ability to bring, to contribute to his healing other than this, Lord, if you will, make me clean. It was faith. Faith is what was operating in this leper's heart. So when he saw the Lord Jesus Christ coming, he knew that the Lord had the power to make him clean. Faith is, all, is, the, is the thing that we need in order to be made clean. It is faith in Christ and faith in Christ alone. Now why is it then that this Jesus is able to make the leper clean? How is it that he is not himself infected by sin, infected by leprosy, infected by the fall? It's because of this. Jesus was not made unclean by touching the unclean man because he is the new 
temple. I want you to write this in the notes. Because he is the new temple. What do we mean by that? What do we mean that Jesus is the new temple? As Jesus was preaching, as Jesus was touching the leper, there was a temple standing in Jerusalem. A temple that was built originally by Solomon. And then again rebuilt by Herod. And that temple was the central place and part of true worship. It was the citadel of true worship in the Old Testament. It was the centerpiece of Jewish worship. So then, how can it be said that Jesus is the new temple? Because he said this concerning himself in John chapter 2. He says, tear down this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the Pharisees at that time questioned him, saying, what do you mean? It took us 46 years to build this temple, and you say you can rebuild it in three days? And John illuminates us by saying, in John chapter 2, verse 19, that he was speaking of the temple of his body. Jesus is the new living temple. The temple that was standing in Jerusalem had now become obsolete. It was no longer needed. In fact, it was fading away. And Jesus prophesied its destruction in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. He prophesies the doom, the demise of the old temple worship, pointing to the new and better way, the new and better way that would be in his flesh, that would be made possible through his shed blood and through his death, burial, and resurrection, that Jesus Christ was the new, better, and living temple. Jesus is the true temple. Because he is the incarnate one, God veiled in the flesh. Why was there a need for the temple in the Old Testament? Why was there a need for a tabernacle in the wilderness? It was so that God's presence could dwell with his people. Beloved, in Jesus, he is God now dwelling with his people. For it says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things came into existence through this Word, and yet this Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt in the Greek literally means he pitched a tent. He tabernacled amongst us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only one from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the incarnate one. He is is God tabernacle with his people. He is God dwelling with his people. He is indeed Emmanuel, God with us. He's God veiled and manifested in the flesh, and he alone can heal us of our diseases physically, emotionally, and spiritually. When we encounter the living Jesus, we encounter the answer for the malignancy of the soul and meet the only one who can truly make us clean. That's Jesus. You see, all of us have a disease. Whether it's external or internal, we all have it. And it's sin. Sin has so infected the human experience that from the moment that we are born, we are already destined to die. We're born with an expiration date. And all of us are heading towards that ultimate statistic, that ultimate number, 10 out of 10 people will die. Everyone in this room, 100 years from now, will not be here. Likely, unless Elon Musk figures out a way to grant us a little bit more time. 
But nonetheless, most of us will not be here 100 years from now. Where will you be in 100 years? Brothers and sisters, I know where I'll be. Do you know where you will be? Because I'll be in that place where the sun doesn't set. I'll be in that place where there's an unbroken, unceasing succession of praise to the one true and triune God. I'll be in that place in which his face shall shine as brilliantly, as brightly as the sun. I'll be with the Lord who is able to make us clean because he made me clean. Yesterday, he's making me clean. Today, he's going to make me clean tomorrow. Do you know him? This Jesus who's able to make you clean, who's able to heal the malignancy of the soul, who's able to heal the malignancy of the human experience and the human state, so that one day, though these bones will one day rot away, he's able to make those dry bones live again. And we have the hope of the resurrection from the dead. That's our hope. That's our stay. That's our anchor, is that Christ is able to raise the dead, and he begins by raising you spiritually from the dead, raising you from that spiritual malignancy. And one day it will come to a full culmination by raising all those who are in Christ from the grave. Jesus is the true and new temple. He is also God, the place in which the whole fullness of deity dwells. I want you to write that in there as well. As it says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, the Apostle Paul writes, In him dwells the fullness of deity in bodily form. Jesus is God veiled in human flesh. He is the new and better temple. He is God dwelling with his people. Therefore, he's able to make his people clean. Because God desires to dwell with his people. That's the story of the Bible. Beginning in Genesis, when God creates man, his own image, he places them in his garden, Eden, perfect paradise. He wants to dwell with mankind, so much so that even after he sins, that Adam sins, he, he, he's walking in the midst of the garden, wanting to fellowship with his creation, wanting to, 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 to dwell with his people. Because of sin, he must now retract himself because he's true, pure holiness. And sin defiles holiness, defiles a holy space. Therefore, God uh, uh, pulls back from humanity but gives them a hope through the gospel that through the seed of the woman, he would now overcome the effects of sin, overcome the serpent, destroy the serpent and its effects, and bring forth again, ushering in everlasting righteousness through this particular seed who is God in human flesh, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the true, better, and new temple. And as Jesus continues to touch the sick, heal the sick, he charges this man in verse 14, he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest, make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded, and for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would draw withdraw to desolate places and pray. So what ends up happening is Jesus tells the guy, okay, I cleanse you, now go do as the law commands you, but keep quiet. But as it is so often, even now, when a person is touched by Jesus, it is hard to keep quiet, amen? When you experience the divine, when you experience the healing touch of Jesus, you can't keep silent. It becomes almost like a well of water welling up in your soul that springs up into eternal life. 
It is that good word, that good cheer that you just must share with others. Good news is meant to be shared. Amen? It's like trying to keep a secret that's just too good to keep. You want to share it with the world. Jesus is indeed that good news that we want to share with the world. And we are also, however, to learn from the example of Jesus. As word spreads of Jesus' abilities, crowds gathered, but he would, but he would withdraw. I want you to write this in the notes. He would withdraw so that he could pray. You see, Jesus was not motivated by pride or power. He was motivated by love and compassion and his commitment to fulfill the will of his Father. Now, Jesus is here setting a great model for us. He's setting a model of what true spiritual self-care should look like, which centers around our relationship with our Heavenly Father. There were times where Jesus, although he was God in human flesh, had to withdraw from the crowds. And what would he do in that time of withdrawal? He wouldn't be found on the side doing sinful things or being idle with his time, but instead he would be found in the intimacy and presence of his Father. That's what it says in verse 16. It says he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. You see, he'd go to desolate places, meaning places that didn't have much distractions, and he would then center himself in prayer with his heavenly Father. Though he would go to desolate places, Christ was not desolate. He knew that his only source would be to be in his presence of his Father. And so, friends, the same should be true of us. Sometimes the anxieties and cares of this world become too much even for us. And we often have to withdraw from the crowds. We often sometimes have to withdraw from even those in our midst in the congregation or the family members. And I know this is a, a challenge sometimes for parents, right? Sometimes kids can be a lot. And it can be difficult to withdraw and have that time of intimacy with the Father. But I tell you this, beloved, Jesus is setting for us a great model for us to follow. It is appropriate at times to withdraw from the crowds and spend one-on-one -on -one time with our Heavenly Father. Not to the detriment of ourselves or others, but in order to draw closer in intimacy with Him. Not that we would become desolate, but rather we would go to desolate places knowing that only Christ, only God can fulfill the need of the soul. Jesus sets a perfect model for us in self-care and spiritual discipline. We must take time for ourselves also, brothers and sisters, for personal Bible study, for personal prayer, for spending good quality time with our Heavenly Father who loves you. Do not grow weary in your commitment to spending quality time with our Heavenly Father. And ask yourself the question, how often am I going in prayer to my Father? How often am I withdrawing in order to spend time in the Word, in prayer, in spiritual disciplines? Brothers and sisters, let us not grow weary in these things. But in some regard, we got to go back to the old way of doing things. we got to be a little bit more like the Puritans in much respect, who their days would often start at 4 or 5 in the morning. And what would they do? They would spend the first few hours of their day in prayer, in study, in spiritual disciplines. And then they would take care of the needs of their home. Then they would take care of the needs of their businesses. But what first came was spiritual discipline, spiritual matters. 
In the same way, we too may not necessarily have to take a huge chunk of our day like that, but we too should center ourselves with spiritual disciplines. That should be the anchor on the way to where we start our days. So when we start our days, the first thing shouldn't be Facebook, the first thing shouldn't be Instagram, the first thing shouldn't be the cell phone, but rather connecting, thanking our Heavenly Father for another day of life, going to Him, going into His Word, grounding ourselves for the day to come so that we have the spiritual power and discipline to withstand the evil attacks of the enemy. And so let's learn, continue to learn from our Savior and what He has modeled for us. He continues on in verse 17 of chapter 5 of Luke. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. The power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed, on a, bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. So here you have another example. In the previous example, you have a man full of leprosy who cannot, no matter what he wants to do, no matter what he tries to do, he cannot heal himself. He cannot make himself clean. Here you have another man who's a paralytic, paralyzed. He literally cannot move. All movements have to be done for him. So therefore they have him in his bed and they're trying to bring him to Jesus. The crowds are filling in so much so that they, they can't even get through the door. So what they do is they go to the roof of the house and, and they, they cut a hole through the tiles and, and they bring they anchor the man down to meet Jesus. He can do nothing of his own initiative. He can do nothing in order to be made well again. And yet, Jesus has mercy and pity even on those who can do nothing for themselves. It says in verse 19, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and let him down with his bread through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, this is interesting. Jesus didn't just see the faith of the man who is paralyzed, but he's seen the faith of those who were associated with him who were bringing him down to him. When he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. You know what Jesus addresses first? It isn't his physical state, but rather his spiritual state. He says to the man, your sins are forgiven. I want you to write this in the notes. When a paralytic man was seeking Jesus to be healed, Jesus saw his what? Faith. He saw his faith and forgave his sins and forgave his sins. Now, the next logical question that is raised by the Pharisees who are hearing Jesus, who are seeing this miraculous work, they begin to question saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? You see, the astute religious leaders of the day knew this. God and God alone had the authority to forgive sins. So when Jesus comes and he says to the man, your sins are forgiven, clearly they know that Jesus is making a claim of divinity. And because they didn't believe in Jesus, they thought that this Jesus was making a blasphemous statement. That he was claiming authority that was not his own. That he was claiming the power to forgive sins. 
And indeed, Jesus claimed such authority. And Jesus had such authority. And notice how, it, how uh, verse 22, the insight that we get from Luke's gospel. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, again, according to Jeremiah chapter 17, God alone is the one who can perceive the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Jesus is able to perceive their thoughts. He's able to perceive their intentions. He's able to perceive their very hearts. And he goes on to say, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Jesus knew the hearts of man. He knew their sinful inclinations. He knew what they were up to. And he answers with this in verse 23, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Jesus has such authority, and he confirms it to the Pharisees and the scribes, because he is God. The opponents of Christ believed that Jesus was blaspheming because who could forgive sins but God? But the Lord could perceive their thoughts and revealed that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins and to heal. You see, not only does this Christ have the power to heal the sick, the leper, the paralytic. He also has the authority to forgive sins because he is, again, God veiled in flesh. He is that true, new, and living temple. This Jesus is able to take sinner, leper, and the paralytic and is able to make him whole and able to make him clean. Therefore, beloved, know this, Jesus today is able to make you clean. He's able to make you clean. The Lord Jesus Christ, again, being God in flesh, can judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart and has indeed the authority to forgive sinners and to heal us so that we can be made clean. Now, again, I don't know where you've been or what you've done in life. I don't know whether your sins by human standards have been great or small. But I do know this, that at the foot of Jesus, there's power for you to be made clean. Now let's remember this. This man who was paralytic had no ability to make himself well. He couldn't, get even, he couldn't even get into the door of where Jesus was. But he had to rely on others to make a way for him. Brothers and sisters, a way has been made for you to be made clean. A way has been made through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That though you're a sinner, though all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, God has made a way for you and I to be made clean, to be made whole, to be healed of the infirmities of our soul and human condition. And that is through the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that through his life, Jesus lived a holy, perfect, blameless life, a life without sin, a life without error, a life that was totally pleasing to his Father who is in heaven. He lived a life that you and I could not live, but he was also persecuted and tortured 
and led to a Roman execution of death on a cross. He died a death of a criminal next to two criminals who was mocked, he was flagged, he was beaten, he was spat on. He died the death that you and I deserved because we truly are guilty. And if God's perfect justice were to be applied to us, who could stand? He died a death that you and I deserved. He lived a life that we could not live, holy, perfect, and blameless. But Jesus didn't stay dead. But instead, he was raised again on the third day, demonstrating that he had authority not, over, not only over life, but he had authority even over death. And that because of his resurrection from the dead, he could have now mastery over death itself. So that death no longer had power over him and over those who were his disciples. This Jesus was raised on the third day and he ascended on high to the right hand of God the Father where he now lives forever as our high priest, as the one who is able to intercede on our behalf and make us clean even now. Brothers and sisters, friends, unbelievers who may be in our midst, if you have not come to know this Jesus, now is the time to know him. Because this Jesus loves you, he gave himself for you, and he's able to make you clean. In fact, he is willing to make you clean. All you need to do is approach him in faith, as did the man who was a leper, who saw Jesus from afar and said, this one can make me clean. This Lord can change my life. In the same way in how the faith of the paralytic man impressed Jesus so much that he was willing to do anything just to get in the presence of Christ, it was his faith which healed him. It was by his faith that God, through Christ, can declare him forgiven. Therefore, come to this Jesus today. Approach him by faith and receive the forgiveness of sins that he offers. And the promise is this, that he will grant you the gift of eternal life. He will transfer you from the domain of darkness into the dominion of light. He will transfer you from death to life. And you will be called a child of the Most High God. And friend, if you've already repented of your sins, if you've put in your trust in Jesus, know this. While we are in this world, while we are in this flesh, we will still continue to wrestle with sin. And God, through Christ, by the power of His Spirit, will continue to sanctify you until that perfect day when we see Him face to face and we shall be like Him. No longer marked, admired by the fall, but instead we shall be as He is, truly perfect and made perfect once and for all through the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. This is for you and for me and for all those who will call on the name of the Lord. For all those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. May you call on him today and be made clean by his sovereign touch. Let us pray. Benevolence, sovereign Jesus, indeed, you are the one who alone can make us clean. Lord Jesus, thank you for these examples in your gospel narrative, in your, in your story, where you touched the unclean man and you yourself did not become unclean, but rather your righteousness was imputed to that poor sinner. 
and your cleanliness transformed him from the inside out. Lord, just for a touch of your glory, we call upon you today that you would make us sinners, us lepers clean, that you would touch us and that we would receive your touch by faith even now, that we would be made clean in the inward man and be made clean even in the outward, that you would transform us, renewing our mind through the power of your spirit. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we do approach you and give thanks to you for all things in Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to internalize this message. Know that there is hope for us. Know that there's hope for us who are sinners. Know that there's hope for us who have gone astray. That there is hope for us who have been made unclean. Because there is hope in your good news, in your gospel, of a Jesus who is able to make us clean. Lord, help us to approach this Jesus by faith. And help us to receive the power of his spirit who is able to sanctify us, set us apart. Just as these individuals were set apart, made clean for holy use, may you continue to use us even now for your kingdom's sake and for your glories. We pray these things in the name of our most blessed and beautiful Savior, even Jesus Christ. Amen.